Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is Bhavik Shah, and today we will be chatting with Jessica Spangler, a PGY1 resident at Hartford Healthcare, about personal finance education and why personal finance education is so important for pharmacy professionals. Jessica and I have known each other as faculty and student during her time at Jefferson, and it's so great to reconnect and discuss our shared passion. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. So Jessica, tell me a little bit about your current position and how you got there. Sure. So I graduated from Jefferson College of Pharmacy in 2020, and it was really the beginning of what would turn out to be a global pandemic. So my last appy experience in critical care was kind of the beginning of everything. So really the outcome was unbeknownst to many of us at the time. So with all of the uncertainty circulating around, I wanted to make sure I had a job lined up to get a head start to paying off my student loans. So I actually relocated up to Connecticut from the Philadelphia area, and I started working in community pharmacy, where I helped facilitate the COVID vaccine effort in mostly Eastern Connecticut, and then decided to capitalize on the federal 0% interest rate that was changed to help with student loans. So I made a major dent in paying off my student loan debt. And I did all of this knowing that ultimately I would decide to do a residency, ideally to practice in a critical care and emergency medicine setting. So I applied at the end of 2020 and then began my residency year in 2021. I started with Hartford Healthcare in June. And so far throughout my pharmacy practice residency, my main focus throughout the year has really been optimizing my experiences in critical care and emergency med. It seems like your path in pharmacy has been somewhat non-traditional in the sense that you went to working and then went back to residency training. And I understand that pharmacy is not all that you do. Tell us about what you do also that some may consider to be non-traditional. Definitely. Yeah. I joke that my second life is online in the realm of personal finance. So when I'm not practicing pharmacy, I'm usually practicing some other skill or hobby that generates passive income. So I try to find ways to optimize my budget so that I consistently invest more than 50% of my income, mostly in the stock market, but also in real estate. And I started two online businesses in 2019 that now generate mostly passive income. More recently in 2021, I decided to branch out onto social media. So I manage my TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube channels as well, which has been a really great creative outlet for me. And all of these things I do with the ultimate goal of earning more free time to travel the world and hopefully contribute in some small way to making it a better place. It seems like you have a natural interest in investing and have an entrepreneur spirit. So how do you get interested in personal finance as a teenager and as a 20-something? Oddly enough, I think... It's probably the same way that I became interested in pharmacy. When I was seven years old, my dad actually passed away from a massive MI in his early 40s. And my mom was left alone to raise myself and my little brother, who were just seven and three years old at the time. 
And my mom at the time was a stay at home mom. She didn't have a college degree, but she had sheer willpower and determination and the drive to turn motivation into money. So my mom got her real estate license actually, and worked hard every day to make sure that my brother and I were taken care of. So at a very young age, I learned to some degree about the fragility of life and the importance of medicine. But I also learned through this experience, the importance of financial independence and being able to provide for myself as a woman. So in 2008, when the housing market crashed, I was older and I really started to understand the impact on people's lives that money can truly have. Having one job means being one step away from zero income. So after going through that experience with my mom, I never thought about money the same way ever again. And over the years, my mom never gave up. She went on to become one of the top realtors in the state. And I learned a lot through osmosis just by watching her and by living through the experience and then trying my hand at things myself. So if I had to attribute my interest in personal finance to any one thing or person, it would definitely be my mom. I learned everything I know about overcoming challenges, being resourceful and staying resilient from her. She is my biggest inspiration and the rest was history. I took everything I learned and ran. I just started doing everything. I started investing. I started building credit. I just jumped in and learned as I went. Uh, sounds like you had some key events that showed you the importance of financial stability and independence and the need for multiple streams of income. And it's incredible the influence your mom had on your personal journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever have a grand realization about personal finance yourself or was it more subtle? And at what point in your career or in your life did you have the realization about its importance? For me, it was not a single big event or series of big events like in your story. It, it was more small things that happened. My parents have always instilled with the sort of the immigrant story, the mindset of saving and living below your means, which is really the foundation of wealth building. But growing up, my parents did not have the understanding. I, you know, English was a second language for them. And so they did not know about investing or the different type of retirement accounts. So I had limited knowledge of my own coming out of pharmacy school and residency because it doesn't get taught in high school or college. And so after I graduated from residency, I had interacted with a professional who in retrospect was really an insurance salesman and who was sort of masquerading as a financial advisor. And so that left a bad taste in my mouth because it made it seem as if he was offering personal financial advice. And at the time, I didn't know if it was good advice or bad advice. Like retrospectively, I can tell you it was bad advice. And then the next sort of event that happened was after getting married, the very first year that my wife and I were filing our taxes together as married and filing jointly, I asked our accountant how to save on taxes. And he gave some basic information, like, you know, max out our 403Bs, which I was already doing, but he didn't mention other strategies that I now know, like the backdoor Roth. So I learned to do my own research. So I stumbled across the white coat investor. And for me, that was the rabbit hole that was a wonderful hole to find because that really triggered me to learn as much as I could about personal finance. And I learned to find other resources. And so the first year that my wife and I, we did our backdoor Roth, I noticed that our account had incorrectly done 
one of the tax forms 8606. And so had I not done my own research prior, I would not have known that it was a mistake. And so when you use a professional, you assume that, you know, everything is going to be all well and good. That taught to me that even if you are using a professional, it's important to trust and verify and to continue to lifelong learn. Because for me, it was then the, the realization that no one's going to be the best steward of your finances than yourself. And so I already had the skill set within pharmacy for lifelong learning. So it was easy for me to transfer those skills and apply it to, to this. So I, I learned as much as I could, similar to you. And I noticed a lot of the good resources that I was using were saying the same thing. And then I got to the point where I felt comfortable sharing it with others. So now I discuss it with colleagues, friends, alumni, and students, really anyone who's willing to listen, I'm willing to share. And I think because personal finance has a taboo around it, it makes it easy for folks to make the same mistakes. And if they are using professionals, they might be paying for bad advice or they might be overpaying for good advice. So that's really what triggered it for me to sort of get involved in personal finance education to sort of fill that void. So what made you decide that you wanted to teach others about personal finance? You know, it's funny. I feel like for the majority of my life, I was so focused on school and being surrounded by other students that we really didn't have time to think about money or even what comes after exams. So I think in college, your viewpoint is so short-sighted because you're just trying to get through the next test. But once I graduated, I started working with other pharmacists and physicians in the field, and they were all asking similar questions. So we would be on rounds and physicians would ask in between patients, hey, if I get an offender pender and report it to my insurance company, are my rates going to increase? Or do I need to carry a balance on my credit card to improve my credit score? Or is that just a myth? And so I started to have this realization that no one really knows anything about money. No one really talks about money. I was surrounded by physicians and other doctorate educated people who were all equally as clueless about what a Roth IRA is or what it means to buy a fractional share of stock. So I was seeing it at work. But then I would go home and I would hang out with some of my friends and, you know, friends who aren't in pharmacy or in healthcare. And I would hear a lot of the same things. So I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me was my friend who was giving her boyfriend her money to invest for her. And long story short, she lost all of it. And I finally said to myself, okay, enough is enough here. Let's talk about this. Clearly, the conversation of personal finance is for everyone of all education levels. Even the most highly educated professionals don't understand it or talk about it really. And women are historically left out of the conversation altogether. So I just felt the need to do something about it. So what led to the development of your own personal finance elective course at Jefferson? And how have you seen your course grow over your time in teaching it? You know, when I realized that a lot of the good resources that I was using for my own education, we were seeing the same thing and certain themes emerged. I realized that personal finance is not hard. I think it is a different language, but I think if one takes the time to learn the basics, it can go a long way. And so I sort of feel like it follows the Pareto rule, 
Well, if you do the basic 20% of things of effort, you'll get you 80% of the way there. And so you don't necessarily have to be an expert in personal finance to excel. So understanding the benefit of living below your means, investing automatically in low cost index mutual funds or ETFs, or even doing a target date fund, if that's what you feel comfortable with in a set it, forget it approach, that is really all you need to do with some other things here and there. So it was not hard, but I think there is a hesitation that folks might have that might be complicated. And so that really was the impetus for me to create a course to learn the basics. How I, it came from conception to implementation, it was a slow roll process. I first incorporated it into my appy experiences. And in addition to doing the clinical topic discussions every Wednesday and Friday, I had Money Mondays. And so in the afternoon, we would just talk about some of these basic concepts. And I noticed that students were interested in it and they had huge gaps in basic knowledge and understandably why they had those basic gaps. And so what really triggered it for me to say, okay, I need to expand this more than just my appy rotation was when I came across data that was published in AJPE, the pharmacy students were making career choices based on the perceptions of their debt and their anxiety associated with it. They were choosing to enter the workforce and perhaps not pursue other career opportunities because it would delay earning that income that they felt that they needed. And so that really motivated to me because I did not want students to feel they were making choices based on this fear. And so that's how I sort of went about creating the elective because I wanted students to fulfill their career goals as well as their financial goals and they were not in competition with one another. And so in creating the course, the philosophical approach that I took was I'm not telling students what to do because it's personal finance and they had to figure out what is their own goals in life. But I want to give them the foundation foundational concepts of banking, credit, taxes, home buying, retirement, investing, all that so that they can be better when they do their own research. Or if they decide to engage with a professional, they could have a more intermediate or advanced conversation with that professional and know what they're getting into. My initial course offering was one credit and it was all didactic. It was the time of COVID, so it was all virtual. And, you know, the student evaluation said they wanted more content. So I, I made it into a two credit course. Now that we are in person, we are able to do in-class activities where they're getting hands-on experiences with all the tools that are available. And the assignments that I have are such that they learn how to navigate the resources that are available online and so that they can then apply it to their own situation. And so we talk about student loans. We talk about just basic banking, like high yield savings accounts, investing. And so one of the biggest assignments that I have is a longitudinal assignment that is creating a financial plan and going through each of the categories and the tools available for them so that the students can create a financial plan for themselves. So that way, when they're ready for graduation, they have something on paper as sort of a starting point for them to implement it. And so we talk about managing their debt, how to optimize savings, budgeting, investing, things like asset protection, which before this elective, they probably never heard of those terms before, disability, life insurance, and you know, just the whole gambit. And so that's pretty comprehensive in the approach. And so that the hope is that they have an action plan that they can then start or tweak 
as you know, they journey through life and they get married, have children, or have any other major life events, then they have the framework already in place. So I understand you have over 300,000 followers. It's so exciting. Can you tell me and tell the audience, who are your followers and why do you think you have resonated with your audience? There's so many finance influencers on social media. How did you decide to differentiate yourself from Meet Kevin and Graham Stefan and all the other individuals on YouTube and TikTok? So my audience is primarily women. And I love that. A common theme kind of throughout all of my videos has been the intent to uplift other women and bring light to their own empowerment because women have power and women have money. And I just want them to realize their power and their own empowerment. So bring each other up, so to speak. But I absolutely describe myself as a feminist and a financial feminist at that So certainly empowered women empower women, but I want women to know that they are already powerful. Statistically speaking, companies with women in executive roles are more profitable. We know that. Several studies have shown that women are more successful in their investing endeavors. Meanwhile, 99% of investment management firms are owned by men and women hold on average 71% of their assets in cash. Not to mention, of course, the gender pay gap and the fact that women are 80% more likely to be impoverished in retirement. So with all of that being said, my audience is largely women and we speak to each other. We lift each other up. I want women to know that they are absolutely capable of building wealth, being successful, being completely financially secure and independent. But outside of that, My audience comes from really all backgrounds, a a wide range of education levels, countries, socioeconomic status. More recently, many pharmacists and physicians have reached out in the comments or sent me a message to let me know that they're watching, which has been really fun and cool to connect with other healthcare professionals who want to learn more about personal finance. I'd like to think that I resonate with my audience because I try to break things down in a way that is simple and straightforward. My goal ultimately is to make personal finance accessible and easy to understand. I don't want to be a gatekeeper of any information. I don't want to make things seem too complex to scare somebody away. You mentioned earlier that personal finance, as you learned, really isn't hard. And I think that's such a common misconception. So I try to have simple videos, and then I have more in-depth videos, but I try to keep the terminology relatable. And I think that that's part of what sets me apart from other financial content creators. To be honest, having the pharmacist counseling skills, if you will, if we can explain to a patient how their anticoagulant works in terms they truly understand, we can definitely explain why having a Roth IRA is so important. So... Another very important piece with my content is accuracy. So that's another way that the pharmacy influence has made its way in. There is a ton of false information floating around on the internet in pharmacy and medicine and in finance. So I make sure to do my research. I only speak to things I know the answers to. And as any good pharmacist would, if I don't know the answer, I don't make up a fake one. I look it up, I do my research, and I report back. You know, I never 
thought of it that way as using patient counseling skills to explain financial content, but it makes so much sense that you as a pharmacist are uniquely positioned to be an effective influencer in this space because you can have a hybrid approach. So when it comes to content creation, how do you determine what content to put out? Like, I understand that you said you make it approachable, you make it accessible, but there's so much out there. How do you decide what to put out? So sometimes I'll talk about topics that are trending at the time. If there's something going on in the news, I might chat about that, rising inflation, anticipated interest rate hikes, that kind of thing. A lot of it is pretty organic. Ideas will just pop into my head as I notice little things throughout the day in my regular life. I think people who are kind of in tuned to personal finance tend to see life that way often anyway. You may be able to relate to that. But conversations I have with others contribute. And then, of course, I do generate a lot of content from my comments section. So people will ask questions about concepts they would like explained in more detail, or they might provide suggestions for similar concepts from their own experiences or things that they've always wanted to hear more about. So it really is a relatively organic process. I don't find that it requires much planning. Personal finance is all around us. So if, if your eyes are open to it, I think you see opportunities everywhere. So how did you create your syllabus for your personal finance elective? Was it difficult to squeeze essentially an infinite amount of personal finance information into a finite period of time for your course? Or how did you select what to talk about, what to include, what to exclude? You know, as being a good pharmacist, I tried to take an evidence-based approach to creating my syllabus. And so I actually did a PubMed search, no joke, of what is out there in terms of creating such an elective for graduate programs. And so I looked at what was published in the pharmacy space, but I also saw that there were some things published in the medical space. Most of the medical content was in medical resident education. And so I did find a article that was published of a personal finance elective in a pharmacy school. And it was back in 2009. And what was nice about that article is that the author outlined all the topics she had covered and the type of assignment. So that really served as an inspiration for me. It was served as my basis, but I modified it and I chose to add more breadth versus depth because I was expecting the students to understand that I cannot teach everything in the elective and that they will have to continue their own lifelong learning in this realm. So I tried to provide that basic understanding. And so what I noticed among the students who take the elective, and I have P2 and P3 students, they have a really good understanding of banking and credit cards. And I think that's because they know that they use that day to day. So I didn't have to spend that much time on that. Many of them had high yield savings accounts. They were using credit cards. Or, you know, I do anonymous polling and they were using the credit cards responsibly paying it off in full, having good credit scores. They knew what their credit scores were. And so I didn't need to spend too much time on that. But what I decided to spend more time on were taxes because no one really knows on taxes and what a marginal rate is. But I think taxes are important because they impact a lot of different aspects of personal finance, like investing, saving for retirement. I also chose to spend more time talking about retirement investing because the terminology is so different and it's easy for folks to get lost between like words like Roth, traditional, 401k, 403b, ETFs. You know, there's just so many terms. So I spent some time there. 
I spend more time on student loans. Interviewing the students at the beginning of the semester, they decided the number one reason why they took the elective was student loan. Like you said earlier, you know, students look at the thing in front of them, like academically, it's the whatever's the next test. But from a financial standpoint, the biggest elephant in the room for them is student loans. And so, you know, I spend two lectures worth on that. So it's four hours total. And we go through all the student loan aspects of how to go about creating a strategy, the different options available for them, and the different tools that they can use to sort of calculate mathematically what's the best approach, but also then emotionally they have to sort of put that in what would make them feel better, paying it out faster or letting it ride and getting that forgiveness and using that money elsewhere. One of the things that I did with the two credit spaces, because I had a little bit more runway in filling the content hours is emphasize, I spend more time talking about investing, how to build a portfolio, the concepts that go around with that. There was one week that it was a free block. There was no lecture. And so I actually, last year, I crowdsourced the ideas and, and the winner was buying a house. And so now that topic is part of the course. And then this year, the crowdsourced ideas were crypto, because everyone wants to learn about crypto. And a lot of people don't understand it. So like, I get it. That was popular real estate investing, and then fire. So for our audience who may not be familiar with that term, that stands for financial independence, retire early. And so I crowdsourced those ideas, and I put it to a vote. And fire one. So now I'm adding that as the last lecture in the elective. And so I think the students have expressed appreciation that they have a say in the topics that are covered. And not only that it affects future cohorts, but that they can then benefit from having their say. One of the things I do in my course is I share my own experiences. And again, my philosophy is to remove as much stigma about talking about finances. So I tell them what I did. And during my path, right, I tell them what I did with student loans, what I did when I bought my car, house, whatever. I say, this was a mistake. I was an idiot. Don't do this for your benefit. Or this is what I did right. And this is why it was a good decision. And so I give them the principles and explain what was good about it, what was bad about it. And then they could decide if it fits for them. One of the things I'm really excited about this year is, you know, they hear me talk for the whole semester. And I might hit a wall and I have 10 years, 15 years on them. So I want them to hear from folks who are closer to them. And so this year, what I've implemented is an alumni panel. And so it's alumni panel and also includes P4 students who took the course last year. And I want alumni to share their journey, what they learned, what they did right, what they feel like they did wrong, what challenges that they had, and just having that discussion. And here again, I crowdsource the questions from the students, the current students that they want to ask the alumni. I added my own questions and we're having the panelist discussion and the panelists are encouraged to answer the questions to whatever level of comfort that they want to share. They don't have to share everything. I'm pretty open like a book, but I know not everyone might be that way. So, you know, it's just starting the conversation. And so I'm really excited to see how this thing turns out later in the semester. And I hope to be able to continue it for future cohorts. So let me ask you this, Jessica, why do you think there is such a gap among professionals in your age, 20s and 30s, who follow you that want to learn about financial education? I think in general, most people in America make it all the way from kindergarten through college without ever having the opportunity or taking a dedicated course in personal finance. And I think 
part of that is certainly lack of availability and resources in the personal finance space dedicated to the working class. Traditionally, wealth and money secrets have been left up to kind of the ultra rich. But I think now we're seeing a real shift. People are waking up. They're interested. They realize that knowledge is power. And now we have the internet. The internet provides an entire treasure trove of free information for everybody who has access to the internet. So self-made millionaires have officially outpaced those that inherited wealth. We have data to support that. We know this to be the case. So people want to have control of their own financial future. They want to be able to build careers that they love in order to make the world a better place, not just to pay the bills and survive. What have you found to be the largest knowledge gap in financial education with your own students in your class? And what things or questions surprised you? What were you not expecting from your elective? You're right that most people have very limited knowledge. By the time they're adults taking on these, you know, $100,000, $200,000 worth of debt with like, you know, just not understanding what that really means. Luckily, that is reversing. You know, more and more states are requiring personal finance education on the high school level. Florida this week passed a law or signed into law. So I think the tide is turning and hopefully more states join the fold. But, you know, with my students, they had that understanding of banking and credit cards, like I mentioned earlier, not living beyond their means. As a student, you're kind of forced to not live beyond your means. So they had that mindset. But beyond that, you know, they struggled. I had them fill a mock tax return and understand, you know, marginal tax rates and how to calculate it and that sort of thing. They had difficulty with that and they needed some guidance, not knowing the difference between a traditional and a Roth retirement account and the, and the basics of investing and really appreciating the power of compounding. Their lack of understanding in this area didn't surprise me because I expected that. But what surprised me the most was how excited they were to learn about these things. And that just shows to me that the need is there. And the fact that they chose FIRE as the topic really shows to me that students want to learn how to empower themselves to gain that independence. I'm one of the FIRE people too. And so my goal is not necessarily to retire early, but I think financial independence creates options. And then you can then create a career around what you want to do versus, like you said, surviving and paying bills. And so I think that was really what resonated with me with the students is that they want to arm themselves with as much information as possible. And that's really fun for me to do because they have the best thing going for them is like they're 20 something and they have time on their side. So that's really fun to see that students are coming to that realization. So if someone is listening and wants to be entrepreneurial on social media, what lessons did you learn and what would you like to share? And if you can share your handle so that, you know, folks can follow you. So my handle is Ecom Jess, as in e-commerce, Jess, Ecom, E-C-O-M-M, Jess. So it started off that way, but now kind of the breadth of topics that I talk about has really expanded beyond just e-commerce. We talk about all kinds of things, personal finance, but I think if anyone's listening and wants to be entrepreneurial on social media, start a channel. The most important thing is to just do it. Just get started because the longer that you sit around and wait and think about 
what you need to do and how you're going to do it and who you want to be perceived as. It takes longer for you to make the change that could potentially change your life forever. And the same thing can be said about most things, in my opinion, starting a business, investing. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. If you sit around and wait for perfection, you will wait forever. So just do it. Learn as you go. That's what I did. You know, nothing in this world is completely without risk. So throw yourself in, teach yourself what works, what doesn't work. It's going to be different for everybody. And you'll thank yourself later. But you know, also the negative piece, the negative comments, it's inevitable. I would caution against that being the reason that you don't. If you're afraid of the negativity, if you're afraid of the negative comments, first of all, I think you might actually be surprised at the opposite, that there are so many people who are actually supportive and that you may actually receive less negative comments than you were anticipating. But also my mom taught me something that I live by. And it's a quote from the poet John Lydgaden, and it goes, you can please some of the people all of the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you can never please all of the people all of the time. And I really live by that. I live by it in general, and I live by it on social media. Just be true to yourself. I think that's really good advice, and not to get caught up with the trolls. I feel like, especially in today's world, there are some people who just want to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. And that's really good advice that you can share that just to sort of ignore them. Because it seems like, you know, you're having a outsized positive impact on so many others. It definitely feels that way. It definitely feels like the positive outweighs the negative. And I think sometimes there's been, you know, psychological studies to show that when you get a really bad grade on a test, that hurts worse than the good feeling of getting like a hundred on a test. So I understand the mentality, but like you said, you just have to ignore it, stay true to yourself and keep going. So what lessons have you learned from teaching personal finance at the college level and the doctorate level, no less, very different from social media. Have you ever considered a social media presence of your own? Yeah. So to answer the first part of the question, what have I learned? I learned that there is a gap, right? And I knew that going in, but I didn't realize or appreciate how big of a gap is. And so what I would like to do from that is try to expand my impact as best as I can. I'm trying to expand it within my university. So I have a role at the medical college. And so I've offered to provide personal finance education series or whatever they want. So I like to see that done. Within the pharmacy college, the course has been a success. It's maxed out last year when it was one credit and maxed out this year. There was a waiting list this year. And so the need is there. And so I want to do a couple of iterations of it and based on the student evals to see what they say, because ideally in a perfect world, I would like for this course to be a required course, because I think it's that important but I need the data to support that. Other ways that I'm trying to broaden the impact is that ACPE had open comments about what accreditation requirements, you know, anyone can go in and offer their feedback. And so one of the things I commented on was the need for personal finance education and to sort of formalize that. Interestingly, ACPE, back as in the early 2000s, called for personal finance education and pharmacy curricula. But the number of schools that offer it, whether it's elective or required, is 
not significant. You know, the number of publications that have come out is very limited. That's really interesting. I am pushing for that. So hopefully that, you know, it becomes part of it. I've also tried to expand. So now I'm involved with providing personal finance education series for the pharmacy residents at our university hospital. And so as part of their development series, I've been asked to create a longitudinal series. So I'm excited to do that. I have the content, so I'm just, it's just fun. But to answer your question about the social media part of it, I haven't thought about yet of how to go about broadening my message on social media, to spread my message and to even monetize it. You know, I've been doing it through whatever venues are available to me. So whatever Jefferson has made available and what ASHP has made available through these podcasts, that's primarily my mode. But, you know, in discussing with you and how you got into social media, that sort of inspired me to look a little bit more and just consider just jumping in and just see what happens. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'll wait for the day that I see you pop up on Instagram. I don't have an Insta account or a Twitter account. I have Facebook, <laughs> but the audience that needs it doesn't use Facebook as much. So I need to broaden my horizon. Yeah. So what's next in your pharmacy journey? And do you plan to intertwine these two worlds that you live in? Or do you plan to keep them separate? Originally, my plan was to keep the worlds completely separate, very separate, absolutely no overlap. Pharmacy and medicine in general has sort of a stature to it, an air of continuous professionalism. It's like running into your elementary school teacher in the grocery store or something. It's weird to imagine that they have a life outside of the classroom. So I kind of felt that way about being a medical professional on social media, almost as if it were taboo. My biggest fear was that other medical professionals, other pharmacists, doctors, even people that I worked with wouldn't take me seriously in my career as a pharmacist or be too caught up on what I was saying in my YouTube videos to listen to my medication recommendations on rounds. So I was very, very caught up in that initially. And I think most of it was self-imposed. I think I created a lot of that in my head because I'm now realizing it really does not have to be that way at all. Being a pharmacist is so entwined with my own personal identity at this point. I mean, we go to school for so long. We go to college for so long. You do residency, you know, and now I'm a pharmacist. That's like my identity as a person for the last 10 plus years, you know, but I can be a pharmacist. I can be a content creator. I can be a business owner. I can be an investor. I can be all of those things. All of us can be all of those things. You don't have to put yourself in a box and limit yourself in your own life. And I don't, want to do that anymore. It's really mutually beneficial to my profession as a pharmacist and to my network on social media. I honestly believe that becoming a pharmacist has helped me develop such a wide variety of skills, ones that permeate into everything that I do, all sections of my life, including content creation and personal finance. So making YouTube videos and talking to a camera by myself in my house is a breeze compared to speaking to an entire room full of healthcare professionals to give a CE presentation live. So I plan now to completely intertwine my worlds indefinitely. I hope to continue to practice as a clinical pharmacist in emergency med or critical care. And I also hope to continue my own businesses and my other side income streams. 
And I can, and I am. My ultimate goal in building wealth is to buy me more time so that I can dedicate my life in different ways because I want to, not because I have to. And that applies to taking care of patients as well. I think I do a better job taking care of patients, being there every day because I want to be and not because I have to be. And now that I've started to really intertwine these two facets of my life, I feel so much better and it's been so much more rewarding that way. What a great goal to have where you can buy back your most precious resource that we have is time and then being able to choose so then you're choosing to continue to work as a pharmacist. And then I can imagine how freeing that is because then you could put all your focus on providing the best care as you can and not worrying about other things. And so thank you for sharing that. I think that is really telling that, you know, your story hopefully inspires others that personal finance is empowering. And so it can have a positive impact professionally and personally in all different aspects. Absolutely. That's all the time we have today. And I really want to thank Dr. Jessica Spangler for joining us today and sharing her pharmacy story and her personal finance story. Join us here at ACHP Official and the Practice Journey Podcast as we learn about how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. See you at the next podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.